0: It's a Thursday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith and no Paul Jones today, as uh, Jonesy had some personal business to attend to and unable to join us on the show today. He will be back tomorrow, so you've got me flying solo. Smith & Jones, but just with Smith today. But I'll keep it locked and loaded for the next hour. And we've got a lot to dive into as the Toronto Raptors pick up a big-time victory last night over the Los Angeles Clippers, and the Raptors finish... Their best ever six-game road trip, 5-1, and, and, and I'm going to say it again, folks. Put the broken record on for a second. I said it yesterday. Actually, no, I didn't say it yesterday because we didn't have a show yesterday. I said it on Tuesday. I said it on Monday. I'm saying it again today. What a difference a week makes. One week ago, we were talking about a Raptors team that, all right, if we want to be real technical about a week today, a week ago today, We're talking about a Raptors team that began a road trip with a loss in Cleveland, but ultimately bounced back with a victory last Wednesday night in San Antonio. And we're thinking, okay, Toronto lost three in a row prior to that victory last night over the Spurs. What's going to happen on the rest of this road trip? you got a dangerous back-to-back coming. Again, this was last week. Tomorrow, Saturday, Friday, Saturday against Phoenix and Denver. Then you're heading into... Los Angeles for games against the Lakers, who are hungry for as many wins as they can get. They've been reeling. And then you've got a scrappy, tough Clippers team that has played well this season in spite of playing a bulk without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And what happens? A win in Phoenix. A win in Denver. Two wins in Los Angeles over the Lakers and Clippers. Add it all up. Five wins in a row for the Toronto Raptors, and long forgotten now, it was only a week and a half ago, but long forgotten the losses to the Magic and to the Pistons, and for that matter, the Cleveland Cavaliers as well. And now we enter this morning, as I speak this very second, with the Raptors now still in seventh because they don't have the tiebreaker over the Cavs. Cleveland, with that blowout win on Boxing Day and then that win about a week and a half ago, they have the tiebreaker over the Raptors. But keep in mind, those two teams still do play again before the end of the season. But as of right now, the Raptors and the Cavaliers tied in the standings. So while we thought nine, ten days ago that maybe the, the, the final nail was was in the coffin and not quite pushed all the way in, but ooh, it's been hammered through halfway at least for the Raptors trying to jump up into the top six, three back of the Cavs, it took them barely a week and a half to overcome that deficit and pull even with the Cavs in the standings. The Raptors, with the win last night, got a little bit tight, but they'd never relinquished the lead in that fourth quarter. Credit to the Clippers, much like the Lakers did a couple of nights ago. The Clippers kept scratching, kept clawing, had it down to two. Raptors built it back up to ten. Clippers got it back down to two again, got it down to one, And then Fred Van Vliet, 88% at the free throw line this season, misses two of his final four, which made the game probably tighter. Not probably. It did, indeed, make the game tighter than it should have been or could have been or would have been. But then Scotty Barnes with a tap out. Van Vliet secures the ball, goes back to the line again, hits one of two like he did the first time. Clippers had a chance down the stretch, but the Raptors ultimately got the job done. And Toronto picks up. The victory over the Clips, 103-100 the final, five wins in a row, and again tied with the Cavaliers in the standings right now at 39-30, and 30, but the Cavs, because of the tiebreak, still sitting in that sixth seed. And the win comes on a night for the Raptors, an important win, again, as so many games now are going to be important moving forward when you start looking at the jockeying for positionings because now – We're starting to look towards the end of the season. We're less than a month away from the end of the year, so time is running out for not only the Raptors to keep climbing, but also time running out on the teams below them to move up. So any opportunity you have to win and to maintain or gain ground is a good thing. And why do I bring that up? Well, obviously, Cavaliers losing last night. That's why the Raptors are now tied in the standings. Atlanta loses to Charlotte. So Charlotte thought that they might have a chance to move up a little bit. They don't because the Raptors hold serve, but Atlanta dips a little bit more. And the Brooklyn Nets losing a tight one to the Dallas Mavericks as the Raptors now gain another full game over the Nets as a result of that. So the lead has stretched three and a half over the Nets in the 7-8 battle. And now four and a half up on Charlotte, who's down in ninth, and a full five games ahead of Atlanta down in 10th. So Toronto's sitting pretty right now and still eyeballing the Cleveland Cavaliers just ahead of them. And how about last night in that win for Toronto? The performance that was turned in yet again from Pascal Siakam, 31 points, 12 rebounds, 3 assists on 13 of 22. Another magnificent performance from Siakam, who has been on an absolute tear, I still say this season. But over the last eight ball games, he has been incredible scotty barnes continues to put the foot down on the push for the rookie of the year 15 points on 7 of 16 four rebounds in the ball game for scotty and fred van Vliet, uh, after returning to the lineup against the lakers last night against the clips 21 points with three assists and a couple of rebounds and i believe if i'm not mistaken i i read the stat the other day and i i know it held true against the lakers and it did again last night three or more triples on the road In, I believe it's now like 66 games, second longest streak ever in NBA history in terms of triples on the road for an individual player. Uh, It was an awesome performance last night from uh, Van Vliet and from the Raptors overall. And um, Toronto now sitting at 39-30, and coming home from the West Coast, playing against the Lakers tomorrow. So we shall see how it all plays out. Uh, for the Raptors tomorrow when they face the Lakers, who lost again as well. Just quickly mentioning them before we uh, go to the Raptors and Clippers and some of the post-game comments. Raptors um, getting set for the Lakers team that lost to the Minnesota Timberwolves 124-104, and now the Lakers, uh, as we do our daily check-in on LA, sitting 11 games below 500 and only a game up on the 10th-seeded Pelicans. And if anybody still has any visions of maybe tracking down uh, the, the 10th or the 9th seed for that matter, well, Portland and San Antonio are only, and I use that term loosely, only a game and a half out of 10th and two and a half games out of 9th. In the Western Conference, again the Raptors with the win over the Clippers, 103-100. We're going to talk more uh, about that ball game in a few minutes' time when Alvin Williams joins me, and uh, later on in the show Justin Termini uh, will be on the program as well, and we'll dive into some things around the association, probably including the Lakers and some of the uh, playoff races uh, in both the East and Western Conference. But let's start again with last night and the win over LA, the Clippers, that is, for the Toronto Raptors, a five and one road trip and after the ball game here's nick nurse uh talking about his team and just how tough they are and how they don't hang their heads and they just keep going and how impressed he is by his squad
1: i think they keep playing there's not a whole lot of um you know really dejected walks to the timeouts and and things like that and i think that they respond good out of timeouts they'll get a stop they'll get a key bucket they'll Chase the glass extra hard, whatever it is to kind of keep some possessions going, and we had a lot of that tonight. We had a lot of offensive rebounding, and you probably could say we might have won it on a free throw crash. They're late, right? Um, So finding ways with effort is is always a good uh, good answer.
0: Yeah, the Raptors just kept coming in waves yesterday. And uh, they were laying it on thick again, as they've done uh, so many times over the course of this road trip, over the course of the season, leading by 17. And again, yes, L.A., the Clippers made their uh, run in the second half, and especially in that fourth quarter, shot 49% in the ballgame. They kept coming. They kept coming. Reggie Jackson played well. But, much like we talked about with that victory over the Los Angeles Lakers as well, you know that bend but don 't break. Why do you put in the work to have big leads to have hot starts to 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 you know to maybe be able to sustain runs and waves that come at you from uh, the opposition from opposing teams, and that's exactly what happened again last night, and uh, I was impressed by the fact that the Raptors, in spite of the fact that they actually were outscored in the paint, which hasn't been uh, the norm for Toronto, especially of late. They were outscored 46 to 40, but still 40 of their 103 in the paint, attacking, going at the clips, getting to the free throw line 21 times. I was impressed by that. And even though, again, yes, the bench was outscored, A, the Clippers lean more on their second unit when you think, especially of guys like Connard and Terrence Mann and Covington and whatnot. But Toronto's still getting 20 from their second unit. And to me, anytime you get 15 20 from this second unit, as inconsistent as they've been at times this year, it's a good thing. And why? I think they're starting to get consistency from that second unit. Precious Achua, Chris Boucher, and even throw Thad Young into the mix, uh, I think that they've proven that they are the, the the three staples, the three go-to, the anchors of that second unit. And then it's going to be now a sprinkling in of, do we get a little bit of Delano Banton? Do we get a little bit of Armani Brooks, who played, uh, what, nine minutes last night in the ballgame? But those three, Achua, Boucher, and Young, are starting to solidify Uh, the second unit for the Raptors, and I thought they played well in spurts last night as well. More from Nick Nurse. Speaking of one of those guys from the bench, Precious Achua and the defense, both he and Kem Birch played against the Clippers.
1: He told me a long while ago that if anybody ever gets really hot in a game, put me on them, I'll I'll, I'll do everything I can to shut their water off. You know, one of those kind of things. Um, Probably before any of us knew that he was Maybe as good a defender as, as we've seen, and it was just you know it, it was they were so they were small in relation to us you know for sure he moves his feet you know as good as any of our our you know length guys so it made sense to keep him out there. And I thought Kim was unbelievably good tonight. Right? It was. It wasn't easy because Kim was unbelievably good and totally took Zubak out of the game. I mean, literally took him out of the game. Uh, it wasn't a factor and was, you know, big huge on his re- offensive rebounding and screen setting for those guys. He really had a great game going. So it wasn't easy, but it was just the best defensive matchup for us.
0: Well, and to Nick Nurse's point, Zubats last night, 17 minutes, just one of four from the floor, finished with two points and seven rebounds on the flip side, Kem Birch, two of two, went to the free throw line six times, that's huge for Kem Birch, nine points, seven rebounds for Birch, and Achua off the bench with 11 points, six rebounds, and dropped another triple last night as well, adding a block and a couple of assists, Achua Playing outstanding for Toronto again, the Raptors beating the Clippers 1-0-3-100. Uh, the five and one road trip coming to an end uh, in a beautiful way with a five game winning streak, and now hoping to keep the winning ways going tomorrow against the Los Angeles Cl- uh, Lakers. Excuse me, at home as LeBron and company will be in town, and they've been reeling. But it's always tough. It's always tough when you've got that first game back home after a West Coast trip. So be conscious be weary be aware of that fact tomorrow part of what will help the raptors obviously is the play of pascal siakam i mentioned it a couple of minutes ago let's highlight him one more time 31 points for siakam on 13 of 22 adding a couple of free throws 12 rebounds uh and three assists for siakam and uh let's hear from him after the ball game as he just continued to talk about the fight
2: that he sees from his squad um we're just resilient. we just we just want to fight every single night um no matter what's happening you know um the, the odds against us or or whatever the case might be we got you know one man down or two men um just continue to play you know fight through play together as a team and and trying to get a win so um i think we did a we did a great job you know just this road trip just um staying together um following the game plan and and no matter what, you know, runs or whatever the case might be, we just stay together. All
0: right, two more from Pascal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to produce live on the air here for a second here, folks. Lance, we're going to go clip two and then clip four, and then we'll get to our guest, my man Alvin Williams. Um, we've talked a great deal, and I'll probably ask Al about this in, in 30, 45 seconds, the evolution of Pascal's game. It's been so impressive to see this season as he wasn't named an all-star, but I think at this point, He should be All-NBA. I don't know if it's going to be first or second team, but he absolutely should be All-NBA. And here's Siakam on the evolution of his career, not just this season.
2: I think the more you, you get in, in, in situations you know I think for me the, the, the better I get um, and and I think that's always something that you know we may start in basketball late and and just you know continue to learn as I, as I grow as a basketball player is just um picking up stuff and and you know um the more I see defenses you know the better i get and 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 I also you know try to work on 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 just you know being composed like you said and and, and just and just having um knowing where i want to go and, and and just kind of like imposing my will and getting to whatever spot i want to get to um and i think that that's what you know special players do so i'm trying to learn that and 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 do that um when i can
0: so pascal and scotty have been a one-two punch scotty barnes in that front court for the raptors uh pascal last night 31 and 12 barnes 15 and 4 uh another impressive game for the rookie and here is siakam on scotty barnes
2: yeah i think i think it's great. Um, and some of those experiences that you don't really get uh, as a young player and I think that being in our team and and, and knowing that, you know, he's going to be out there, he's going to be in those situations. Um, and, and, you know, for him to, to, to be composed enough to do that and, 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 and be calm in those situations and, and, and just continue to play, um, I think it's great. And it's only going to help him in his career. And I think that, again, like we said, you know, the, 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 the sky's the limit for him, or, or at least there's no limits. And, you know, he can get to whatever he wants to get to. I always say that um, it's just going to be on him. And, and and how much work he's going to put in, and and how how, how you know how better he's going to get. But you know we already can see. I mean he exceeding expectations, and um, and I mean my vote for rookie of the year for sure.
0: Well, there you have it right there. His vote for rookie of the year, and that's where I want to start as we bring into the conversation. It it doesn't have the same ring to it, the same alliteration as Alvin Williams Wednesdays. But either way, it's still going to be great content. Still always good to talk with any time, any day. My man Alvin Williams. Al, thanks for joining me today
3: thanks for having me how are
0: you good man good and i know it was a late night in, in la and and i don't know if you've hopped on the flight back east yet or not but either way appreciate the time alan i said i want to start with the rookie of the year jonesy and i have spent a great deal of this week talking about how many of our our, our fellow uh you know members of the media broadcasters writers or otherwise in the states perhaps have already anointed or 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 kind of written at least in pencil the rookie of the year for evan mobley and i i gotta say They've got to start pumping the brakes a little bit here. I don't know if they're not paying enough attention to what Toronto's doing and what Scotty Barnes is doing specifically, Al. But if I try and look at this balance, I'm not going to sit here and wave the red and white pom-poms for just the Raptors. I'm saying both have been outstanding. And it may or may not come down to which team has the better record, which team finishes better in the standings. Or I'm quite happy with the split, Al. Like right now, honestly, if I had a vote... I'd be quite happy ripping it in half and giving them each one because I think they've both been great. I don't know that one is heads and tails, though, above the other and truly more so deserving than the other of that award.
3: Yeah, you're right. I mean, they both have been outstanding this year, leading their teams, helping their teams. Um, You know, I don't think, you know, coming into this season, people look at the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Toronto Raptors to be in a position that they are in. But once these guys start playing and once they start putting that, their imprint on the team in the league night in and night out, they both have been outstanding. I, I take it back when I, I mentioned once I'm on the air, it was like 95 or the 94 season when, you know, Jason Kidd and, and Grant Hill were co-Rookie of the Year. So I wouldn't be opposed to that either. But, you know, Scotty, for me seeing more of him, he's just amazing how I see him guard multiple positions and how he has a lot of responsibility, especially at this point of the season. He's getting more and more comfortable, so he's he's making a strong case for being rookie of the year himself. But Evan Mobley is a talented a talented young player as well.
0: Al, the thing that really stands out for me from from Scotty is just the the awareness, the intelligence at such a young age, and and I think part of the reason I bring that up too, and I, and I'm throwing myself into this pool, Al. Like, I wasn't necessarily one of those ones on draft night that was just screaming for Jalen Suggs. I didn't know where the Raptors were going to go. But I won't sit here and say that I wasn't surprised when Scottie Barnes was announced. Because, I, I mean, I didn't know where Bobby Webster and, 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 and Masai Uji were going to go. But all of the chatter seemed to be about Suggs. Then they go with Barnes, who was already, let's remember, too, projected to be the fifth pick. It's not like the Raptors went way off the board and took a guy that was projected to be 15th or 20th. He was fifth on the board. That's the other narrative that was so stupid from this draft is, oh, the Raptors, they went way off the board. No, they, they, they took the dude that most people thought was going five anyways to Orlando. They just sort of flipped the script a little bit. But the one thing about Scotty was, so we thought, well, his offense might not be where you want it to be. He's a great defender. He's an energy guy. He's a rebounder. You know, he was a sixth man in college. You know, what, what's he going to be as far as a pro goes? Suddenly, I see this guy as a decision-maker, as a playmaker. He's decisive with his moves. He's going at it. doesn't matter if it's LeBron James or, I don't know, Terrence Mann. He's attacking. He's finishing with the left, the right, in the post, in the mid-range. Like, he's showing way more than I thought he had and way more poise at this point than a 20-year-old should probably have.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. I'm, I'm right with you. I really didn't know what to expect. From Scotty Barnes, I didn't see him a lot in college at all, and I just remember calling a friend who went to Florida State and reaching out to his college coach, and he said right off the bat, you know, he's the best player in the NBA in the, in the draft, and you know, you, you you don't know how to take that because you know that's the coach, but they also see him night in and night out. Those guys pre- he practices, those guys recruit, those guys, so they see more than we could ever see on a daily basis, but. Everything that he's doing now, that's what his coach said he was. He was a point guard. He could defend. And they didn't even say nothing about his shooting. They just was like, he's going to get better and better. And, and that typically happens a lot. When you are when, when you see a college player play one way and then they get into the NBA, it's much of a free-flowing offense in the NBA. So if you do possess those skills, it will flourish in the NBA. You will get an opportunity to show those, those things. And I think the other thing, He's allowed to play without the pressure. When you have a Fred and you have and you have a Pascal, even though Pascal wasn't here early on because he was hurt, he has he has the ability to play his game and play through mistakes as well. So I think it was a perfect storm for Scotty to continue to develop and us see who he truly is. And I and I believe he has a lot more room to grow. So it's going to be scary. Well, it-
0: yeah, and, and and out to that point, and, and I mean, Pascal kind of touched on it in one of the clips that we were playing there. I think you might have heard a piece of it. The fact that he's having this chance to grow and grow into a role, but then there's so much more room for further growth, let alone improvement. Yet it's coming on a winning team in a winning environment in games that matter in a team that at the very least is going to be in a play-in for a couple of playoff games, if not a full series for the first round or more. The fact that he's able to do this on a winning team, Al, how much of a difference does that make? Because, you know, and this is, this is a, a conversation, a question that we've asked many times in the past. It's a talking point in pro sports in general. But what's often forgotten is, you know, these rookies that come into a league, most rookies, they come in on bad teams because bad teams get high picks. It's rare that a high pick ends up playing on a good team the next year, a team that has made a quick enough turnaround that they're playing impactful games. We're seeing it with Scotty, we're seeing it with Evan Mobley, but we ain't seen it with the Houston Rockets, with, with, with Green, we're not seeing it in Detroit, with Cunningham, but these guys are playing on good teams. Al, how much of a difference can that make where you're doing it in games that matter, where the pressure is that much more intense, the importance is that much higher, and Scotty's and Evan Mobley to that matter, is showing the capability to do so in these types of games and getting this type of taste early in your career.
3: It means a lot. It's everything. Because, as you mentioned, you know, we see him play. But, you know, the playoff and the approach, professionalism you have to have when it comes to the postseason is something that you can't experience it during a regular season. It's literally two different seasons. You know, the preparation and just, the the intensity, and it's a learning curve that is so is so large that you you have to you have to be in it in order to really truly grow from it. And if you play a, a bulk of your of your career without having those opportunities, if you're ever in that position, it's going it could it could be it could be mind-blowing at times. It could be shocking because it is, such, it is really different. So for him to be in this position where the games matter, even if it's a playing game, that intensity where it's a one-and-done, the college atmosphere type of thing, but those things are really different than what he's going through right now. He's having fun right now. He's feeling good. But when he walks into that arena and see all the fans and he see the media and he, the intensity and everything he gets is not going to be easy. It's going to be somebody in his face. It's going to be somebody right there. It's going to be somebody hitting him. Every play that is really going to be something that's a, a learning experience that you can't put a value on it. And it's really important. That's why it's special that he's in this position now. And you heard Pascal Siakam say the same thing. It's from his development. He's learning how to read defenses. He's learning how to get other people involved. He's learning the bas- He's learning how to play basketball in a certain role, which is that number one guy or the go-to guy every night.
0: Speaking with Alvin Williams, and and Al, it's, it's akin to, and I mean this respectfully, as great as he's playing, I'm not sure if we're putting Pascal Siakam on Kawhi Leonard level at this point, but I'm trying to draw the loose comparison of what Siakam had, what Van Vliet had, learning from, at least for one season, Kawhi Leonard, let alone multiple seasons with a Kyle Lowry and that type of veteran leadership, with those guys as young players. The difference, I suppose, is those guys spent a great deal of time, at least in the first season, going up and down with the 905 and being behind a bunch of dudes and eventually earning their keep and learning their way and then being major parts of the 2019 championship run. The fact that Scotty's doing this in the rookie season without even going down to the 905, is that much more impressive but to have those types of vets to still learn from in Fred and and Pascal and for that matter a young, another young vet in OG that's got to be huge for the growth and the development of those guys having that type of leadership in front of you
3: Oh yeah it's always it's always good to have those veteran guys that can talk you through it but once again you have to go through it right you you could we could sit here and may, maybe you got to ask those guys what they learned from a Kawhi Leonard in one year. I think they can learn from seeing how he handled things and how he went about it. But until you're in those positions and you're actually the person who played through it and you actually lose that person that's going, the team's going through night in night out, there's nothing that, that per, another person that's done it can do for you other than just talk you through it or, you know, give you some type of comfort. So the the important part is actually getting a chance to do it, right? Actually getting a chance to be involved, actually having responsibility and then you know the next thing is have making sure your mind and body is right for all of those things at a young age it's tough it's tough it's tough to really be mature enough to do these things and now once again the NBA has changed to some levels and certain degrees but for the most part you still have to have that preparation because you have coaches game planning you have players going against you and you have you just have a different intensity level so once again not too many people can, can help you through those situations from the physical aspect. You know, mentally and emotionally, they can talk you down off the ledge. They can support you and comfort you. But you really have to go on the fire in order to be able to cook, man, because it's a whole different world.
0: Hey, Al, to that point, and and, and I don't know if you've had a personal conversation with him about this. Uh, I know I haven't, so it's just my my own theory throwing this out there. How much do you think what Pascal has been through over the last year plus has helped him individually, let alone helped his growth as a leader and thus then potentially helped a Scotty Barnes or others on the team in terms of what Pascal's like as a leader? And, and what I'm, where I'm going with this is when you think back to last year and dealing with the ups and downs of, of I mean, heck, the last two years out, with the bubble and the 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 off season, and then Tampa, and COVID, and his own health, and his own battles with COVID, and injuries, and and you know butting heads uh, last year, at least at one point with with Nick Nurse, and just a lot of the personal and and private stuff that was going on, and then coming back this year after the shoulder surgery and working his way back in, he seems like he's a different person, different leader, and he's acknowledged a couple of times, and I'm paraphrasing, but acknowledged. The 12 months, if not the 24 months that he's been through, and the growth that he's shown, and how different he is now. And he seems like he's becoming more of a vocal guy. Maybe that was either a, a wake up call or an epiphany. Do you think I'm, I'm reaching here? Or do you think that kind of plays into where he's at now as sort of one of those go to guys, one of those leaders, both vocal and leading by example for Barnes and so many others on this team?
3: No, I mean. I think all of those things are where he is today. You you have to. You have to go through all those. Now it's up to him to take each of those experiences and make something out of them, right? Get the best out of them because that's what it's all about. Every great player, especially if you want to get where Pascal is or Pascal want to get where they were. I don't care if it's Michael Jordan, Kobe, I don't care. They all had run-ins with their coaches. They all had bad Postseason play and had to learn from it. They all played under expectations, right? They all did those things. They had to. They had to go through those things, and you know it was a lot of hype. Well, not even hype, but expectations on Pascal because you know coming off a championship season and playing very well. You know, I think catching people off guard with his where well, he was playing. You know, next to Kawhi Leonard, big part of why the Raptors won that won the championship, and then coming into the next year with Kawhi Leonard gone. And signing a big contract and people thinking that he was going to jump right into that role and that was unfair because he's never been in that role before and he's still himself learning how to play refining his skills he wasn't the most skillful person he's not he wasn't doing the things that he's doing now so people put him in a position that he wasn't he wasn't quite he wasn't ready for and then when you're in individually you're you're trying to figure it out as well. So, yeah, emotionally, we're going to have some blow-ups with the coach because we're not on the same page. I might have some doubts with my team, whatever the case may be. But he's he's grown through all of those things. And then he got the confidence of his coach. He's probably not having those blow-ups any longer. They might have disagreements or they may have whatever, but nothing that's going to lead to a suspension or anything. But that's part of it. So this is why you see a Pascal playing the way he's playing with the consistency and the effort night in and night out. But then the, bigger, the next stage is, now it 's the postseason once again, can you still lead your team to those to that type with that type of play? and a lot of players, Giannis has had to do it there's a lot of players, so it 's not just Pascal, and I, but I love the, the path that he 's on because I 've seen him be, become successful night in and night out with certain players after going through some of these struggles. So all of those experiences have helped him get to this point and be the player that he is right now.
0: Al, we appreciate the time, or I appreciate the time. I'm used to saying we. No Jonesy today, solo today, but uh, I appreciate the time as always, and uh, we'll look forward to hooking up with you again next week, man.
3: Appreciate you, man. Talk to you later.
0: All right, Al, safe travels. There is Alvin Williams uh, called the game last night with Matt Devlin on Sportsnet as the Raptors got the victory over the Clippers, and now the Raptors head home from the West Coast, a 5-1 and one road trip, five straight victories, and they get set for their only date on their home floor this season against LeBron and the Lakers, unless, of course, it's the Raptors and Lakers in the finals. But let's be honest, folks, the way things are going for L.A., my goodness, another loss for them last night against the Timberwolves. Things are just unraveling and have been unraveling for quite some time in Los Angeles. And uh, we'll see if they can get right against the Raptors on Friday night at Scotiabank Arena. Obviously, for the Raptor faithful, they hope that's not the case. And they hope that it's a six-game winning streak with another win tomorrow, two in a week, over the Lakers as they will tip it off tomorrow night at 7.30 down at Scotiabank Arena. We'll step aside for a moment and probably get into the Lakers and a little bit more when Justin Termini joins me next on Smith & Jones. Covering the Raptors in-depth like no one else. The Raptors Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith with you flying solo today. Jonesy returns on Friday. Thanks again to Alvin Williams for joining me to start the show and joining me on the line right now, host of NBA Today on Sirius XM Radio, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Monday to Friday. He's joined us many times in the past. I always appreciate the time from Justin Termini. Justin, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks
4: for having me on
0: all right, Justin, um, I want to get it out of the way because most people are saying enough of the Lakers already, enough of them. But we do have to talk about them at least just for a second here because they lose again last night. The Raptors already beat them a couple of nights ago as well, and Toronto's got them on tap tomorrow night at Scotiabank Arena. Justin, I don't even know what to ask anymore about this team. Um, it seems like the tired narrative of is there time to put it together. Well, we know the answer to that. I don't know if they're just going to be fodder now for one game in the play-in. So let me look beyond this season. What can you do, if anything, to turn this thing around next season, going into future years? Is it going to take an overhaul or is it just a case of hitting the reset button and having a fresh start?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we all understand that Frank Vogel, even though this isn't his fault, right, he's way down the line. He didn't uh, get rid of their defenders uh, like Alex Caruso, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Kyle Kuzman and bringing guys that didn't fit, so it's not his fault. But he's out. That's the easiest change to make. I'm surprised it hasn't been made by now. Now they're not going to make it until after the season. So he's gone. That's step number one. Whether they have an overhaul in the front office, I don't know. Certainly that's where the blame probably rests. Uh, LeBron's going to stay. They're not dealing him. Anthony Davis is not going to leave, so they're not dealing him. Can they get anything for Russell Westbrook? I mean, you're going to have to attach assets in order to get rid of him. So I'm not sure how you're going to be able to get anything of, of substance back in return for him. So it looks like it's a mess more than just maybe a year. But then again, we all know how the NBA works. We saw it with Anthony Davis. He can just quit on his team, force a trade to to Los Angeles, and really that team is going to be forced to do it. And I'm not saying, like, I'll just use an example of Carl Anthony Towns since they played last night, right? Carl Anthony Towns seems to be happy in Minnesota right now, but I'm sure LeBron tried to recruit him during the game because that's what LeBron typically does with stars around the league. So let's say Carl Anthony Towns says, I want to be traded. I'm only going to the Lakers, et cetera. Timberwolves are forced to do it. So that's really the only way they have out of this if if somebody quits on the team and demands to be traded to L.A.
0: Justin, it, i I agree with you on the Vogel thing. I've been saying it for a while. It's become almost a bit of a joke here, like where I've been portrayed as this anti Frank Vogel guy, but I'm surprised and I'm and I'm not, to be clear. I'm not. I got nothing against the guy personally. I, I you know, he's he's proven he's a heck of a coach. But I'm shocked that they didn't make that move sooner, knowing that there was little wiggle room with the roster, little that could be done. They ultimately didn't do anything come trade deadline. The only bullet that the Lakers really had to fire was potentially. The coach, and they didn't do it. Yeah, well, Why do you think that yeah, didn't well, happen? Like, did they believe truly that they were just going to have time, have time, have time, and get this thing turned around? Because that seems like in pro sports the easy one to make, and they ultimately didn't do it.
4: Yeah, well, I think the reason is this. one, he is a really good head coach. Uh, two is like I think I think they floated that out like towards the beginning of the season. And it was backlash backlashed. People are saying, like, wait, you're blaming Frank Vogel. This is on the front office. So I think one of the reasons they uh, probably didn't do it is because if they fired, fired Vogel, then everybody would be going, like, wait, it's not Vogel's fault. You're the one that created this mess. He's just coaching the, the lack of talent that you brought in and the pieces that don't fit. So I think that's one reason that they didn't get rid of him. I and mean, like, I find it hysterical that like Russell Westbrook is like, uh, you know, chirping at, at Vogel and kind of blaming him for some of his struggles. Any other coach, for the most part, would bench Westbrook or not playing 35 minutes a night. Like, he's still allowing Russell Westbrook, who's been one of the worst players in the league this year, to play 30-plus minutes. He should be thanking Vogel for doing that. So, I mean, Vogel's not going to last past the season. I think one of the reasons they didn't make the change is because they understood that this is not Frank Vogel's fault. Uh, he's the one that has to face the media and bite the bullet every day uh, because the front office is not talking to me. I haven't seen Gene Bus speak. I haven't seen Rob Blanca speak. LeBron's certainly not going to be blamed or held accountable by the media that kisses his butt. So Vogel's going to be the one that has to take the criticism. Westbrook as well. Uh, and Westbrook's default, fault, but also they're the ones that brought Westbrook in knowing his, like, style and his demeanor. And I didn't think that was going to work at the beginning of the season and it hasn't. So ultimately, Vogel will pay as soon as the season's over.
0: All right, speaking with Justin Termini, host of NBA Today on SiriusXM Radio, let's stop talking about the basement or near basement of the Western Conference. Let's flip over, uh, Justin, to the Eastern Conference, and let's look towards the top. Um, since the flip of the calendar, the number one record in the NBA, if I'm not mistaken, the Boston Celtics, and believe it or not, and this isn't me trying to be the Toronto guy waving the pom-poms here, Justin, but since the end of January... Top five, record actually it might be six now. Even though they got the win last night, but either way, right there five six. Uh, the Toronto Raptors, two teams that have been rising, climbing the standings, especially Boston. You can you can choose to hit on Toronto if you want, Justin, but I am focusing on the Celtics right now. You know they 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 continue to climb. They're currently the fourth seed now as they've leapfrogged the uh, Chicago Bulls. How good are they? How good can they be? And where do you have them stacked with the Heat, the Bucks? The Sixers among the best of the best in the East.
4: Yeah, I mean, when you look at like all those like sites that take in like the formulas, like uh, you know their defensive rating, their offensive rating, uh, their, uh, you know, their you know you know just like all the different stats, they're giving them the best chance to come out of the Eastern Conference. Like Basketball Reference, that five thirty eight website, which gives predictions like them in the, in the Heat they have the two as the two favorites. I wouldn't go that far, but I will say that they've been a shocking to me as any team in recent memory in that like midway through the year, they were unwatchable. They didn't play hard. They didn't play together. They didn't look like they liked each other. Then without making a major change, like they flipped the switch. Now they're one of the hardest playing teams in the league. They're one of the more fun teams to watch in the league. They moved the basketball, whereas before we were having like articles written about Jason Tatum is selfish, Jalen Brown selfish. We need to break him up. Like we've seen teams, I think midway through the year change, like last year, Atlanta. Okay. But Atlanta fired their head coach. Uh, you know, the Lakers in 2008. All right, they added Tal Gasol. All right, the Pistons in 2004. Okay, they added, uh, uh, you know, they added uh, Rasheed Wallace. Even the Raptors, the year they won the title. Like they added uh, Mark Gasol midway through the year, which is a big addition. Like, Boston didn't do anything. Mean, they had Derek White. Uh, so, you know, the fact that they've been able to switch it without really doing anything to the structure of the team, to I me, mean, is amazing.
0: Speaking with Justin Termini, uh, Justin, I mentioned where Boston goes in that top, in those top three, four teams. Let's, let's let's move the Celtics out for a second now. Miami's starting to put a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit of breathing room among themselves and, and, and the Sixers and Bucks there at the top. Is there a top team? Like, is there one team right now that you're saying this is the cream of the crop of the East, or do you think it is like three, four, five teams that have as good of a chance as any of coming out of the Eastern Conference this year?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really tight, but I would still lean towards Milwaukee. Uh, they've been disappointing this year because I thought they would take the confidence of winning the title last year and maybe take the next step. Uh, Middleton has not been great. He's been better as of late, but uh, I did not like his decision on the two holidays to go play in the Olympics last year. Uh, I thought that would fatigue him after a long year, uh, but we'll see how the, uh, the the Brooke Lopez return uh and what it means to him because I mean, that's a key piece. That's a starter on a championship team. He was awesome for them last year and he brings an immense amount of size uh, like we kept talking about Draymond Green earlier this week, returning to Golden State, okay, that's important, but almost equally important is Brooke Lopez, so I still think they're the team to beat in the Eastern Conference, uh, then there's a slight step back to everybody else, I mean, Philadelphia, do we trust James Harden in the postseason? Do we trust Doc Rivers in the postseason? I wouldn't say I do. Uh, Miami plays so hard during the regular season, but I think everybody catches up during the postseason, because everybody's playing hard when we get to the postseason, plus June Butler just can't stay on the floor, uh, you know, can a, can a Brooklyn team in the 8th seed win a championship, getting through the play-in, then getting through all these series on the road? Uh, I don't think so, especially if Kyrie's not going to be available. Ben Simmons is going to play like one or two games prior to the start of the postseason. So I think it's Milwaukee at the top, but it is like very evenly matched up with like four or five different teams that could probably make a run.
0: Speaking with Justin Termini, host of NBA Today on Sirius XM Radio. Justin, let me flip over to the Western Conference now. Um, You mentioned Draymond Green. Now we're dealing with an injury and, and a lot of people focusing on what might happen with Steph Curry and how long he might be out if it's an extended period for Golden State. They have now fallen to the third seed in the Western Conference. Memphis winning four in a row, the second seed in the West, the only team that's uh, clinched a playoff spot already. The Phoenix Suns still sitting atop the, the NBA, not just the West, at 56-14, and 14, a three-game win streak coming after their loss last week to the Toronto Raptors. Um, I want to ask you about Memphis, though. This is a team that, as great as they are, it, the, the most exciting player in the league, perhaps, to watch in Ja Morant. I still don't believe, though, they're ready for the postseason i don't know justin if they went around but to me they're not a conference finals let alone nba finals team i think they still have to lose in order to learn to win i don't think they're at that point yet what do you
4: think yeah, I mean, they're young, and young teams typically don't have, you know, an immense amount of postseason success. And we could go back to Golden State, maybe 2013, uh, where they got to the second round under Mark Jackson. And then uh, they pushed the Spurs there in that second round. Uh, that was 2013, 2015. They eventually won the championship after they got eliminated in 2014 in the first round, and Mark got fired. Uh, so, like, uh, I don't, like the Celtics a couple of years ago, right? Led by Tatum, your Kyrie and Hayward were hurt. They got to game seven in the Eastern Conference Finals. So it's not unheard of. Uh, and as the two seed right now, I definitely expect them to win a round. I mean, the way they have to beat? Minnesota, the Clippers in the first round, maybe New Orleans or the Lakers. I think they do that. They get into a second round against Golden State, who's maybe banged up, not knowing what Steph's uh, status is here. I could see them winning that, but I don't think they get any further than the conference finals. But I wouldn't be stunned if they made it to the conference finals.
0: Where do you kind of put your finger on Phoenix? Because they haven't slowed down even with the injury to Chris Paul. He comes back into the lineup, you assume, naturally just makes them that much better, that much more dangerous. But based on the success they had last year, rolling it into this year, are they a team that is truly destined for a path to the finals again? Or is there going to be some resistance from insert team here? What do you think?
4: Well, as long as they're healthy, I think it's, it's, you know, they're the best team in the NBA. They were on pace for like 67 or 68 wins before Paul got hurt. And even with Paul out, I mean, I I saw a stat this morning. They still lead the NBA in assists since Paul went down. That's amazing. To lose, like, you know, one of the top two or three point guards in the sport, a guy that would have been on my MVP ballot if he didn't get hurt, uh, you take him out of the lineup, and then you're still the top team in assists. It just goes to show you that, like, the structure that he that he has there, uh, he's left behind, and people play, still play that style. Same thing with Monty Williams, speaks highly to him, who's probably either the, the front runner for Coach of the Year or, you know, maybe in second place, he's certainly going to get a bunch of votes. Uh, so I think they're the best team in the NBA. Obviously, Chris Ball's health is a big question. Because they can lose in the first round or the second round without Chris Paul. They need him immediately once the postseason begins. From what I'm hearing, he will be back. Uh, But as long as they have him, I think they're clearly the best team in the NBA.
0: Is there a team, Justin, and maybe I can ask you to go back to East or West if you want to go East, Is there a team that we're not talking about right now or a team that you think has that chance of jumping up and surprising? Like, I keep looking at what Dallas has done. I keep looking at the Jazz. I mean, year after year, we're talking about the Jazz where they've been a good, very good team, but are they a great team? Is there anybody for you that you think could suddenly just surprise and be standing there when the dust settles, either as the champ or at the very least in a conference finals, in an NBA finals, that maybe we're not really focusing as much on?
4: Yeah, I don't think champion, but you mentioned one of the teams and that's Dallas. I mean, you, you brought up I think at the beginning the self-express record in the uh, NBA since like this, the turn of the calendar, uh, or the second best. Well, Dallas is right there, and Dallas just beat Boston. I think those are the three teams Dallas, Phoenix, and, and Boston that have been the best in the NBA since the, the change of the calendar. Spencer didn't Emily him, mean, they traded for him. He looked useless in Washington, and this guy looks like an all star there. Uh, two consecutive game winning threes for uh, for Spencer. Their their defense under Jason Kidd's been fantastic. I was wrong on that hire. I was like, ah, eh, I was a blah hire. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. He's been awesome. Uh, uh, has Jason Kidd. Luka, after starting out out of shape, is now an MVP candidate. So that's one of them. Uh, and the other one would be Denver. If Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. came back, uh, I don't think even if those guys do come back, they'd be playing at a high level. But let's just say that they did return and played at a high level with the way Jokic is playing. To me, the best player in the sport, the MVP right now, they'd have a shot, but I wouldn't count on their health being there. So I'll say uh, Dallas and then Denver could be the dark horses.
0: Hey, Justin, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining me, man. And uh, we'll, uh, I'm sure, be chatting either before the postseason or into the playoffs themselves. All the best.
4: All right. Enjoy the rest of the season. There's the wrap. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks, man. There is Justin Termini, host of NBA Today on Sirius XM Radio. And uh, right at the end there, him saying uh, if the Raptors are there. Listen, the Raptors are going to be there. We know. We definitely know that uh, he's the, the Raptors are going to be there. It's just a matter of if they're beyond the play-in. And again, the Raptors with the win last night uh, over the Los Angeles Clippers, five in a row now for Toronto as they get set for the Lakers tomorrow night. The Raptors at 39-37-3 and 37 and three over their last ten and a five-game winning streak for the Raptors. It's the longest current streak in the NBA. Memphis has won four in a row. As the Grizzlies sit at 48 and 22, second in the Western Conference, and the Golden State Warriors dipping to third, as I mentioned, with Justin just four and six over their last ten. And uh, the latest news, I suppose, it's looking like Steph Curry out indefinitely from the uh, Warriors lineup, so we shall see how that impacts them. You would assume it's going to have an impact, no doubt, but how much of an impact, how far do the Warriors fall potentially in the standings as they are just, uh, what, two and a half games up on the Utah Jazz in the 3-4 battle, and Dallas coming on hot and heavy. They're 8-2 over their last 10, second hottest team in the Western Conference. The hottest team, folks, 9-1 and one over their last 10, the Minnesota Timberwolves, after the victory last night over the Los Angeles Lakers, 11 games over 500 and still not locked into a playoff spot. And this is why I started the week talking about the play-in tournament and the fact that I I like it for the competitiveness that it's created, how it's created more um, important games, more games that matter, but I think it should be for the final seed. I don't think the final two... Should be battling to get in, and yes, I know that impacts the Raptors. But I'm not even talking Raptors right now. I'm talking Timberwolves. You got a team eleven games above 500, and they're not even locked into a playoff spot. Set it up that the last team has to battle. You know what? What do we talk about? in, hey, March Madness is starting in like 20 minutes. We often talk about it in pools and whatnot. There's the last place prize for the for the person that that has terrible picks and is at the bottom. Well, you know what? If you're at the bottom of the playoff picture, you're the eighth seed you got to battle your way in. you got to fight and claw your way in. But if you're the second-last seed, the third-last seed, you shouldn't be battling. You're six, you're seven, you're in. You're in. That's where I'd like to see the NBA tweak things in future seasons with this play-in, with this wild card. But again, the Raptors, the the play-in right now at seven. The Timberwolves, the play-in in the West at seven. Toronto in action tomorrow night against the Lakers at home, back home at Scotiabank Arena. We will discuss that on our final edition of the week and jonesy will return make sure you subscribe to smith and jones wherever you get your podcast uh, excuse me please rate and review talk to you on friday